Well, hey, good to see everybody. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Turn to the book of John, chapter 3. We're going to read one of the most familiar verses in a passage of Scripture here today as we continue and conclude our series called Story. Today's message is going to talk about love. And so John 3, 16, I didn't look up the page number in the Pew Bible, but if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have one then down the middle out underneath uh, those seats are stacks of Bibles, so you are welcome to use those. And if you need one, use it through the, uh, through the service today. But more importantly, take it with you. Um, the font is kind of small, so you might have to break out some reading glasses. That's my fault for ordering those with such small font. John 3.16, we're going to go through verse 20, 21. Let's read together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. That's God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we delight in your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear from you, Holy Spirit, today and, and eyes to see, especially because this passage is familiar to us and this verse, the most famous verse in really all of Scripture, God, make it fresh, make it new. Speak to us through it, Lord God, about Jesus, about your love for us through his death on the cross. God, we thank you for our gathering today. Thank you for those who are here. And God, we thank you for uh, this community that we live in and all those churches who now are meeting and are gathering and are worshiping Jesus. God, we pray that you'd meet with them, that you would unfold your authoritative word to them. God, in their hearing, God, would you change them? Would you make them more like Jesus? God, we pray that same thing for us. God, would we, would we be not only encouraged and challenged by your word today, but God, would you change us, change us to look more like Jesus? We pray this in his great name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, over the last few weeks, we have been in a series called Story. And we have been looking at the storyline of Scripture. To say that we've been looking at the story of the Bible means that the Bible is, is a story. Now, the Bible's a big book, 66 books combined into one, uh, over 40 different authors. It's, uh, it's a book of great diversity Yet there is a singular unity to it all. And that unity uh, revolves around the fact that the singular author really is is God. And the hero or the, the center central theme subject of the Bible is Jesus. Today, we'll conclude our story series discussing um, one theme that I think provides the impetus for the grand narrative of all of Scripture. And hopefully you've heard us talk about it over the weeks as we've looked at the different parts of, of this grand story. And that theme is, 
is love. You know, love is, I mean, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, our world revolves around this idea of love. It's in the songs that we sing and listen to. It's in the books that we read. It's in the, the movies that we go to see. The, the predominant, uh, you know, the majority of them have as this underlying theme, this topic of love. We are, uh, we are infatuated with the idea of love. I think deep within the psyche of our human selves, we crave love. In fact, I would go so far to say is we crave to be cho- for, for love to choose us, to be chosen by love, because that's really a, a special love. Because the truth is, many of us don't deserve the love that we crave. Would you agree with that? I mean, sometimes we want love from people, brother to sister, you know, parent to kid, uh, husband to, to wife. And sometimes we are craving love, but we can be unlovely people. And that's really why I think in the books that we read and the movies that we watch, the best ones are often those where we see the storyline that the person that's that really doesn't deserve love is love. And we see the power of love through those kinds of stories. Surely the greatest story of all the stories ever told is the story of God's love. And that really is the the underlying theme that we have seen in all of the grand narrative of the Bible that that we pick up and that we read. You know, while the concept of God's love for creation is, you know, is quite complex, the story of God's love really is simple. It's almost like a husband desiring uh, a man desiring a woman and and asking her to marry him because of the love that he has for her, and he chooses that woman to be his bride. The Bible story is much like that. God is choosing to love a people. He's choosing to love us, and that choice is repeated, and it's clarified as history unfolds. In the last few weeks, we've looked at the Bible's unfolding narrative of creation, fall, reconciliation, and consummation. And again, as we clearly see this backdrop, I think the thing that comes up In all of these, creation, fall, reconciliation and consummation is the mega theme, the mega story of love. Perhaps you've recognized it as you hear the story again in this narrative of what God is talking to us, what he's what he's giving us in terms of the story of the Bible. With creation in the beginning, God displays his love for all of (laughs) humanity. He provides a perfect and a beautiful world. He sets a man and a woman in this perfect environment, and he offers them the opportunity to to explore and to um, to live in that beauty. He gives them um, automatic, instantaneous love for each other. Think about it. In Genesis two, Adam wakes up from his slumber where God had created the woman from him, and he sings a poem. Um, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of me. I, I mean, I can just imagine him eyes wide open, probably just like, oh, my God, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. All these other animals, they were my friends. But this one is for me because she's just like me. He loved her automatically. You know, Adam and Eve were, were made to love each other. But really, behind that, they were really created and made to love God. 
they were supposed not to just see the beauty in themselves and the beauty in God's great creation. God made them so that they would see the beauty in who he was and that their attraction would not just be for each other, but they would be ultimately attracted to the, the most beautiful person in their experience, God himself. With the fall, unbelievably, Adam and Eve reject God's love when they decide to reject God's word. And that rejection of God's love um, is to the detriment of everything in the world that we know. What's truly unbelievable, though, is that when they rejected God and his love, God didn't reject them. He did not retract his love from them. Now he judged them. He kicked them out of that perfect environment. He kicked them out of the garden. But in love, God sacrificed an animal. He clothed them in love. Uh, He clothed their nakedness. And then throughout the entire Old Testament, we really see sprinkled through all the story of of God and his people, opportunities that God comes and loves people like you, you and I. Adam and Eve have offspring and immediately we see that part of God's love is that he chooses. He chooses a people to to offer his love to uh, God offers his love to both Seth and 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 Cain. He eventually chooses uh, Seth because of the sacrifice that he brings. Further on, we see that God chooses um, he chooses Noah and his family to bring them to save them through the, the flood that he brings on the earth because of the wickedness that we find in the earth. In Genesis 12, God extends a covenant of blessing to Abraham and his family. He chooses to love Abram and his descendants specifically because Abraham believed God and, and chose to follow God in faith. These are all expressions of love that God would give to people who, like you and I, Uh, want to love God, but can't completely do it as we should. God calls the nation of Israel to himself. And at Mount Sinai, he gives them a symbol of his love, which is the rule. Follow my rules and I will give you the blessings that nations would see you and see the God that you serve. And they in turn would come and serve me. God uniquely loves them in this way. Unfortunately, much like Adam in the garden, Israel rebels. They would choose to not love God, but they would love other gods. They would even love idols made with their own hands and would serve them and worship them instead of loving the God that had created them. And God judges. He judges in a unique way. He continues to give them his love, but he also judges them in a myriad of ways. In amazement, though, we see this picture repeated over and over again. God's people are made to love. They're made to see the beauty of God and then love him. But then they we reject him. But God doesn't necessarily completely reject us. I think the most beautiful picture of God's love in the midst of human rejection is in the book of, of Hosea. Uh, God, Hosea's prophet. And God tells him to go and marry a prostitute named Gomer. And so he does what God says. He marries Gomer, the prostitute. And almost immediately after they marry, Gomer goes back and into her life of prostitution. And God says, 
Hosea, go and reconcile to your wife. And he does that. And so the God is saying through the prophet Hosea, this is what it feels like for me to offer my love to you and have you reject it. This is what it feels like when my people constantly who've been made to love the one true God reject him. Yet I still come toward him. I still come toward them. And so the story continues. As we get into the New Testament, basically the, the semblance of God's love for his chosen people is, is, is a, a glimmer of light. It's barely there. But God does the unbelievable. He sends in love his son Jesus from eternity. And he's incarnated as a man. And in love, Jesus lives. He suffers in our skin, eating our food, walking our roads. And in love, he submits to God's plan for himself by allowing people like you and I to put him on a cross and execute him. And in love, he dies a death that we deserve. But in love, God raises him from the dead. And as we see the consummation, this grand story of love comes to fruition when God promises that in love, he's going to bring back Jesus and he's going to bring to him his bride, the church, those who have trusted in Jesus and have been resurrected to, to be with him forever. And our grand hope today is that someday Jesus is going to come back and this love of, of this one true God and this people that he calls to himself is going, going to reunite in a place of God's choosing forever. That's an amazing story. It's a true story. It's the story of the Bible. And the amazing part of it is, um, is that underneath our fallen rebellion, rebellious self, we see God pursuing us in love. And that should that should really amaze you. And that brings us to our text. John 3.16 is the most widely quoted, probably the most famous um, verse in the, in the Bible. And it's that because of what it says. It says that uh, a holy God loved his world enough that he would send his eternal son whom he loved um, to, to save them, to save people who deserved condemnation. Um, this verse is particularly significant because it articulates what I think is uh, the most important point of our Bible, the gospel. Okay, the good news of of why God loves us. And it does it very succinctly. We read the words for God so loved the world that he he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It summarizes really the central point of all of Christianity. And so what I want to do for us today as we conclude our series called the story is, is look at John three sixteen and use that as a backdrop to to help us see this underlying theme of love. I mean, who does God love? How does God love? And why does God love? Why is it that through who he's made us to be and in our rebellion, he still loves us? And so firstly, who does God love? John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world. Uh, this phrase can be misleading. Imagine this, Bob and Sue are a couple. Um, Bob has brought Sue to the beach. They're it's sunset. They're out on a stroll. Bob intends to 
um, to pop the question. He's going to propose. And so he's picked this perfect scene, this perfect setting. And they're strolling down. They're getting towards the pier. The sun is I mean, it's just at the perfect spot. And I mean, he's really set this up. Uh, out from a distance come this little quartet of string instruments and they're playing and he gets on one knee and he says, Sue, I love you. Would you marry me? I mean, what, what's Bob saying? Bob, Bob is, what is Bob saying when he says those words? I love you, Sue. Um, I, I, we could say he's, he's saying a lot. He could say, I love your hair. I love the way your eyes look. I love the way your lips poke out. And I love the way you talk. I mean, he might be saying, I love the uncanny things about you. I love the quirks. I, I love the conversations that we have. I mean, he could be saying, I love the lovableness about you, Sue. And that's why I want to marry you. Obviously, he's saying a whole lot. What is God saying when he says, I love the world? Well, God is not saying he loves the lovableness about the world, because when John in his gospel talks about the word world, he's talking about the part of the world that's not, you know, this whole big globe with good people in it. He's talking about this whole big globe with a bunch of bad people in it. When John in his gospel talks about loving the world, he's talking about the world that reminds us of Genesis chapter Three, when Adam and Eve did what God said not to do. And so everybody born of them is just like them. That's what he's talking about. He says God so loves that world. And that's not a pretty world. Um, When we think of what he's talking about, it brings us back to John chapter one. John chapter one, verse 10 says this. Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. It's what we read in verse 19. We read this a little bit earlier. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So God sent the eternal son into the world to be a light. And it's as if his creation put our arms up and we said, your light is too bright and you, you're shining on the dirt on my face. And you're I mean, you're, you're, your light is so bright. You're making the, the dirtiness on the inside of me become apparent and I can't handle that light. We reject him. That's what that's what John is saying. I think when John is 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 saying God so loved the world, he's saying two things. He's saying first, God loves the created order. God loves the world that he's made. Listen to these words in Proverbs 8. Now Proverbs 8 is is God is is Solomon personifying the greatness of creation um, personifying wisdom in the greatness of creation. But hopefully you you hear in this just uh, how much God loves his world. Verse 27 of Proverbs 8. When he when he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was there beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. I think God loves the world um, that he made in Matthew six twenty six, Jesus says these words. He's talking to his disciples and he says a sparrow doesn't even fall to the ground without a loving God knowing about it. He goes on to say, think about the flowers. You know how how splendid they look. They look more splendid than Solomon in all of his glory in his heyday as king of, of Israel. He's saying. 
I love my world this much. I'm intimately involved in it. I'm, I love the created world that I made. Secondly, he's saying God loves rebellious humanity. He loves people like us that even though we repeatedly reject him, he still comes at us from a perspective of love. I'm going to read a, uh, a passage that you might not be familiar with, but this is just an interesting passage. Ezekiel 33:11 um, gives us these words. I, uh, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Though we reject God, he does not reject us. He might call us wicked. He might judge us. But in his judgment, God pursues us with the loving, uh, with the love of a God that loves his creation. God, you know, who does God love? God loves the world. Secondly, God loves his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, there's never been a time when God was not intimately offering and receiving love from eternity. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been in this love triangle with themselves. John 5 says this as uh, it just relays the, the deep love that God has for the son and that the son has for the father. John 5:20. The father loves the son and shows him all that he does. John 17:5 says this, "Father, glorify me, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began." Love is bound up in the the character, the heart of God. He can't be God without being love. And that love is expressed in his love for his son. Now, D.A. Carson is an author and uh, a theologian. I, I love reading him. And he has written uh, a little book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, which in it he says, you know, love is this. Love is simple. You know, it's in us to love. But love, when, when you look at it from God's perspective, is so complex. Because how can a God that hates sin also love those who are the ones that are initiating that sin? And that sin is oriented toward him. And he has to judge it if he's truly righteous. But so D.A. Carson makes this statement. He says the measure of God's love for us is Jesus. That's a profound statement. The measure of God's love for us is Jesus. I think what he means by that is, is this. What did giving up Jesus cost God the Father? Can you think about that? I mean, what did it cost him? If you're a parent, think about this. Would you willingly give up the child that you love to die for the benefit of other people so that they might be spared the condemnation that they deserve? Would you ever, I mean, is there ever a time that's a parent you would do that. That really is the measure of God's love for us. He gave up his son, the, the eternal son that he loved, and he gave him up not just from eternity to, to earth. He gave him up to die for creatures that that are rebellious and, I mean, selfish. We don't even care anything about much of go that's going on in our world beyond of beyond how it affects us personally. D.A. Carson goes on to say, if you want to see the full measure of God's love, just then just watch Jesus. Just watch what Jesus does. Watch what he says. Watch how he 
Watch how he acts. Watch how he interacts with this world. Here's some examples. Matthew 9, Jesus looks on a crowd of people and he calls them sheep without a shepherd. And the scripture says he has compassion on them. Jesus is he loves us by showing compassion. Matthew 19, Jesus is playing with children and he says to his disciples, if you want to be around me, approach me like these kids are approaching me. Suffer not the, the, the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. In um, Jesus, John 4 is one of my favorite passages in, in Scripture, just because we, we've talked about it before. But Jesus is loving the unlovely. He comes to the Samaritan woman. He, he loves her by revealing her sin. And instead of condemning her, he offers her living water. He says, he says I know you through and through, but... Here's an offer of salvation for you. And she receives it and then goes and tells other people what Jesus told her. And I mean, the the gospel is extended through this beautiful story. And lastly, in Matthew 11, you know, Jesus in love, he comes to people like us who are bowed down with the cares of this world. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If the, the, the measure of God's love for us is Jesus and Jesus loved us. Who does God love? God loves the world. God loves his son. God loves people. You know, throughout God's story of love, he makes a distinction between people that he's calling to himself and that he chooses to put his love on. We saw that in the lineage of of Seth and Cain. He chose Seth. And that is the line that the, the, the promise is the promise of God comes through. He does that with the nation of Israel themselves. He does that with us. You know, a lot of times that we reject this language of God choosing. The biblical language here is the word election. And we reject it because it makes God sound mean. He sounds hard. I mean, how can a God that's supposed to be love choose some to love and then not choose others to love in the same way? I think in the Bible, we have to come to grips with being chosen is how God expresses his love towards us. To be chosen is to be loved by God. I mean, why did God choose Israel? Did he choose them because they were the best nation? Because they had uh, a better future in, in sight? Because they were more religious? Because they obeyed him more than the other nations potentially could have obeyed him? I mean, the answer is triple no. None of those would be the reason why he chose the nation of Israel. God chose them simply because he loved them. And he loved them simply because he did. While God makes the distinction between people, I think it's fair to say God loves sinners. He loves he loves all people because all of us sin. I love these two verses here. Firstly, Paul uh, Titus uh, 3, 4 and 5. Paul says in, in this verse, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he loved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. We don't merit God's love or his favor. In fact, we merit the exact opposite. We merit his wrath. We've read this verse in this series before. Romans 5, 8 says that. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, he chooses to love us. Thank God that he is not like us. You know, God is not like us. We love people who are lovely, who 
We love people based upon what we can get from them or how they treat us or, you know, or, or them loving us back. God doesn't do that. He does really exactly the opposite. God's love is free. It's gratuitous. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. God is a completely giving God and we cannot earn his love. We receive it by faith, by trusting in his son, the son that he loves. Who does God love? God loves his world. God loves his son. God loves people. The second thing that we need to ask ourselves is how does God love? We can't find all the ways that God loves inside of John 3:16. We have to go outside of scripture. But one of the ways that the Bible makes um, clear is that God loves in many ways. And in one of those ways, elsewhere in scripture, we love that God loves providentially. To say that means God loves, he loves favorably. He, he favors his world, whether you are, whether you are obedient in response to his love or not. Um, Matthew 5:45 says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Not only does God love providentially, he also loves perfectly. You know, throughout scripture, we see this thing that God is this perfect father that takes people like us and adopts us as his children. And this is what he does in love to us. He gives us not what we deserve, condemnation. He gives us what we need. I would tell you, we we ask a lot of God. We ask him to love us, unlovely people, in the ways that we want to be loved. But God loves us in a special way. He loves us in a way that conforms us to the image of his son. You can't ask for a better love than that. Uh, How does God love? He loves providentially. He loves perfectly. John 3.16 says that God loves sacrificially. For God so loved the world that he gave. The emphasis on that word, that word gave. I mean, what's the what's the importance of the word gave, give? It's, It's that God did not have to do anything. He didn't have to give us a single thing, but he chooses to. And we see this over and over again in the New Testament. And in terms of this word sacrifice of giving, giving sacrificially, um, immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, he sacrificed an animal and he clothed, he gave love to Adam and Eve by clothing their nakedness. Um, Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac as uh, a step of faith in obedience to God and his word. We see the the Levitical sacrifices were were types, were typologies pointing us. I mean, it's 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 this picture of uh, of God requiring blood of of life for the sins of the people to atone for our sin. And he required these sacrifices over and over and over and over again. And they're, of course, all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice. The sacrifice of God's eternal son on a cross, dying the penalty that we deserved, uh, receiving the penalty we deserved, dying the death that we should have died. All in the name of love. You know, God poured out his wrath on his son, whom he loved for instead of pouring it out on us. And Jesus willingly submitted to that. 
Jesus was our substitute. I mean, why did God do this? I think the only answer that we can come up with in our um, carnal, infinite, uh, finite minds is, is that, I mean, it's this crazy thing that the Bible gives to us about God's amazing love. The next thing that we must ask ourselves, and this is the last thing, is why does God love? And when we ask ourselves, why does God love? I think we're asking ourselves, what is the, I mean, what is the purpose of God's love? And I think um, John answers that in his gospel. And the purpose of, of God's love toward us in this passage here is that we might have life. He says in John three sixteen through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Did you see the, the, the opposites there? I think they might be sort of underlined. God loved us, gave us his son, and instead of bringing us to a point of perishing, he chooses that he offers us the opportunity to have eternal life. And then secondly, God sends Jesus not to condemn the world, but that we might be saved and that through through him. You know, I think the purpose of God's love for us is clear and it's clear in this passage, especially God sent his son, his eternal son. Into a world that deserved condemnation, but instead of condemnation, God allows Jesus to receive that condemnation that those who deserve the condemnation might might go free, might have life. What's the purpose of God's love for us is that we might we might have life. I think secondarily, one of the reasons why God loves us, and, and this is a crazy thought, is because it, God chooses to love us. Have you ever thought about that? Why does God love us? We sing the, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. What's the last words? The Bible tells me so. But, but underneath that, underneath that, why does, why does God love us? The only reason that we could come up with in our crazy little minds is that because he chooses to. God chooses to love people that in many ways don't love him back. I think the answer to the, the true answer to why God loves us might surprise you uh, because the answer has nothing to do with us. Think about this. In Romans nine, Jesus presents this analogy um, of, of God choosing to love some. And he says, God chooses to love Jacob, but he, he hates Esau. And again, these are election words, and they sound kind of harsh to us, but the word hate here is not hate as in I, I'll bore you, but it's in hate, hate as in I choose to put my affection on you. I choose not to put my full affection on, on the other. And so in this picture of of Jacob and Esau, we see that God chooses to love because God chooses to love. Almost like a potter has a lump of clay on a wheel and he has he can divide it into two and he makes one 
and it is just it turns out to be this beautiful structure, and the other he just leaves into a, a lump of clay. Much like that, God chooses to love us, and we, we, we can't do anything but just receive it. We can't do anything to earn it. God loves not because he sees anything in us that's lovely. He loves because he chooses to love. It's not because there's anything um, that we can do to coerce him to love us or demand his love. God loves his people because he chooses to love. And lastly, I would tell you, God loves because he loves his son. There's this beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter one that Paul says the reason God chooses some for adoption to love them is to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the beloved, in the one that he loves. He's talking about God chooses to love some because of his love for Jesus. God loves us primarily because he loves his son. That's it. God loves us because he loves Jesus. And that's an amazing statement to make. There's nothing that God desires more than to display his glory in and through his son, Jesus, which in love is accomplished through salvation. And so when God offers you salvation, he is loving you because he loves his son. I'll conclude with this. You know, what's the Bible's story of love? It's the story of a holy God that chooses to love unholy people at the high cost, the, the, the infinite, incalculable price of the death and the life of his son, whom he loved from all eternity. He did so that he might transform an unlovely people into a bride that he will one day unite with and spend eternity with. And so the question for all of us, um, really, as we conclude this this series talking about the storyline of the Bible is how can I enter into the story? How can I enter in into God's story, into his story of creation, fall and reconciliation and consummation? How can I be a part of God's story of love? And, and really, John three sixteen is the one this final passage that we read that tells us we enter into God's story when when we believe Listen to these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only son of God. The means by which we come to enjoy This love and life from God is simply believing, believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your story. Thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your words. We thank you for this amazing love that you have for your son, that you've had from eternity. We thank you for the love that you have for your world. Lord, we thank you for your love. This unexplainable, uncanny, crazy love that you have for people like us who don't love you back the way that 
your glory deserves. So the Father, forgive us for the ways that we reject your love. Forgive us for the ways that we see the offer of your love in Scripture and we turn our backs to it and choose to love ourselves, to love other gods, to make idols of them. Lord, we want to be a part of your story. I pray especially for those who are here today who in any way struggle with this idea that they're unloved, unloved by people. Perhaps their thoughts are that they're unloved by you. God, would you reveal to them your love through your son? God, you love your world, but you love your son. And as we express belief, faith, trust in the person and work of Jesus, his death on the cross in our place, the very demonstration of your love for us, that makes you love us. You love us because of Jesus. God, give us great love for Jesus. Thank you for your love.